We'll try and uh, ask the kind of questions that don't uh, induce nosebleeds in this section. <laughs> uh, awesome. So, um, so there's a few themes that come out there straight away, but um, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that I'm trying not to sound like uh, a bitching developer when I ask the question, um, because there's there's a lot of lot of attributes there and a lot of techniques that we that we would probably foster that is hard to hard to make the argument to the designers that we're working with or the people signing the checks for the, the, the sites. And I know that's, that's the wrong attitude, but it's a, it's a difficulty, right? And um, you mentioned the uh, 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 turning off the, the scaling. You know, I've seen that a lot as being used as a, a bit of a hack, as a way to, to make some of the layouts possible that are being asked for. So before we even get into anything technical, have you got any good tips or have any of you guys got any good tips on pushing back on that and saying, okay, well, here's some, here's some data about why we should avoid some of those, uh, those kind of design uh, um, uh, choices or things that are going to lead us to do that. Is there good data available for that, or is there, are there good ways of making that argument? What was the fine for um, Target for not having an accessible website? It was That's a lot of money. Yeah, there's it was, so Target pl paid $6 million. That's plus four million in attorney's fees. That's really good data. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, money, money talks, doesn't yeah. it? That's money uh, does talk. And sadly, that is a big motivator. Yeah. Um, it's really just user pain. I mean, if you try and pull up any news site, and you, New York Times, for example, yeah. last time I checked, um, they had taken their desktop styles, made it responsive, so things are now viewable in one tiny column. But the text is so small and mm -hmm. so faint uh, because of the color contrast and the size, that all of a sudden, if you've presented zooming, you can't read it very well. Yeah. So some of it is anecdotal, some of it is uh, the legal risk. I think all of those things together should be enough to make people care. Yeah, and it, I, I don't know, maybe diff people have different experiences in, in projects, but I often find that some of these arguments seem to fall to the developer on a project to say, well, hang on, have you thought about this? And I know that, you know, uh, UX teams are getting, you know, that's what they focus on as well. But often some of the things to do with color contrast that you just mentioned and to do with, like, oh, well, if it fits in this, in this nice viewport now, so that's fine. Um, those seem to tick the boxes and it's, it's developers who raise those things. So having access to that kind of data and that argument is kind of critical, I think, to make that point. I mean, I think the best way to argue it is the dollars because that is who our bosses boss. Yeah. That's what they care about. Yeah. But the reason we're talking to the developers and not to our bosses boss is one you can't get our boss's boss into the same room right um if you actually want to talk about something meaningful did i just say that i did <laughs> um uh, but you know developers actually care so yeah. it's converting you know maybe a developer didn't know about it in this room but actually hearing about it, they're like wow i never thought of that mm -hmm. but yeah. the easiest way to make something accessible like um i th this talk i'm developing which i didn't do here because marcy covered everything that i was going to do in my original talk was um <laughs> That's that website that I, that I refactored in a thousand lines of JavaScript. The reason that I was able to refactor it into a thousand lines of JavaScript was I used native elements and I no longer had to use ARIA support. So when you use the span for your checkbox, I was cringing because I'm kind of <laughs> like, just use the checkbox. Right. Use the checkbox. Or use a select. And then if you don't use a select, what is the equivalent of a select? Almost is a radio list because you can only select one. Mm, yeah. So um, just thinking outside the box because we have these elements mm. and they're accessible. And so when I did this, uh, I did a carousel um, using radio buttons. And to make this entire carousel accessible, 
was four lines of JavaScript. Who here has developed a carousel at all? And then in less than 5,000 lines of JavaScript, <laughs> and then under 10. Right. You know, so if you actually use native elements, it will do what you want to do and give you, you no longer have to do key up, key down, key right, key left, mm -hmm. tab, because it's all yeah. taken care of. I mean, of. as soon as you start reinventing what the browser has already done, you're, you're fighting a losing battle, right? You are. To, to yeah. piggyback on what Estelle was saying, too, was I don't know any developers who believe in doing a bad job. Anybody here like doing crappy work? <laughs> so forget about what the executive has to say, right? And like Estelle was just saying, yeah, there, there's probably a lot of people in the room who don't know a whole lot about accessibility. But ultimately, our decision whether or not we want to do a good job comes down to us. Mm -hmm. And we can put forth some of that extra effort. And make, I mean, and really, it, it can start with basic stuff. Uh, form field labels is huge. You know, people need to know, you know, mm -hmm. if, if converting a visitor to a customer is based upon their successful submission of a form, putting form field labels on there is like a no-brainer. Right. You know, and you're doing a good job. Yeah. And so that's, the, I, I choose to sort of walk around the executives who, who you know, want to be naysayers and just do it anyway. Yeah. And I think sometimes those are, are steered by like an aesthetic direction, right? Like the, the visual design team often will, will be going for something in particular. And that's not, to, that's not to slight visual designers. Are there any designers in the room, visual designers in the room? All right, they're going to come and beat the crap out of me. <laughs> um, but that, but there, that is a, a regular tension, right? Trying to, trying to satisfy all of those things at once. And, and yes, I think the, the development team can then bring some, you know, something to the table there. It doesn't have to be just, okay, implement this PSDs, please. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you were talking, so I, I, love, I love seeing examples of screen readers, and it's, it's, such, uh, it's, it's so enlightening to see that. Um, a few people have been asking about how best to test with screen readers. And I know that I think, I think you both have used examples of, um, of uh, the voiceover in OSX, but is that good enough for testing? Is that a good enough insight, or do you need to go further? It's a good any? start. Right. The reason I like using voiceover is because there's text output, and yeah. so it gives you a good example for teaching, but it's not the most used screen reader. Right. Um, there's a great survey from WebAIM on screen reader usage, uh, both on mobile platforms and desktop. Uh, JAWS, NVDA, uh, NVDA being open source, that makes it mm -hmm. a bit easier to get your hands on it. Mm -hmm. JAWS is a very used screen reader on Windows. Uh, I didn't know until maybe a year or two ago that you can use JAWS in 40 minute mode for free. It, it will just quit <laughs> right. after the 40 minutes. So if you're using it to test, you can still get your hands on the software, which normally is really expensive. Right. So there's tools out there. Um, I tweeted a link just to answer one of those questions that WebAIM has really good tu tutorials on what the key commands are and how you would navigate. Yeah. And so that's a really good resource if you're wanting to get started with screen readers. Right. And so let me just, because I don't actually use screen, screen readers, but, um, and I should, but I don't. And so I think most people here are like me and they're like, what is the easiest thing to do? So I do something easy and it's not 100% accurate, but it gets me 90% of the way there without annoying me, which is uh, I use voice, uh, I develop in Chrome because it's easiest for me to develop in Chrome. I like their developer tools the most. Um, and voiceover is meant for Safari. It's not meant for Chrome. However, I leave voiceover on with just the, just the text showing. So I turn my audio off and I have the text there. You saw the text show up in that little white box with the black text. Uh, Black box with the white text with the mm -hmm. whatever. I'm uh, jet lag. Hello. Um, <laughs> Cognitive overload. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so I just have it on all the time when I'm developing actual forms and stuff. So it's reading it to me, and I can see what I'm doing, and I'm like, oh, forgot that. Um, and then I use a few CSS tricks, which is um, IMG colon not uh, parentheses brackets alt. Type that out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> she got it. Um, it's another hot key for that. And That's then funny. like border red 20 pixels. And then if I have an image with an alt attribute, it's 20 pixels red border. It's like, hello. Mm. Um, and then Alex, Alice Boxhall from, um, from Chrome or from Google, she developed an extension for, um, uh, for Chrome. And I don't know. It's supposed to become becoming native in the t- developer tools. If it's not there yet, you can just add it on. Um, but it's in your tools, and it tells you what the text that's going to be read um, is. Mm-hmm. And then the the Paciello Group and DQ, their websites have a lot of um, information. So right. Yeah, yeah there's tools that you can use to help you find these things. Mm-hmm. Like if you respond well to a checklist of things wrong, um, you <laughs> might benefit from a tool like the Chrome Accessibility Developer yep. Tools. Carl works on a tool called Tenon. I work on another tool called Axe. You know, you have your choices that you can use to test things so that then you have something to react to before you're sending it out broken. As a developer, you can arm yourself with this knowledge by using these tools that will help you from having to pour over source code and sure. figure mm. out if you got an ARIA attribute wrong or if you used it incorrectly. Yeah. Because frankly, like we can't hang on to all of those details. So using a tool to help you find problems is a, a good Right. Recommendation and and so I mean I was so the accessibility tree was new to me right I have to hold my hands up how how much should we as developers understand the accessibility tree where where is it reasonable for us to take our responsibility I mean should should we understand that it's there and 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 that it's doing a job and there are principles that we should do that take care of that or should we understand the accessibility tree in a bit more detail. What's reasonable, would you say? I think the reasonable thing would be to start with the screen reader, and because that's the end goal of mm-hmm. that structure, mm-hmm. is to provide information to a screen reader. Right. I just have to be really geeky and nerd out on that kind of stuff, <laughs> right. so I thought it was interesting. But if you're just getting started with it, it's important to know that that thing exists. Um, obviously, that was what my talk was about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think getting started with a screen reader so that you know why the accessibility tree exists, right. mm. that's a really good place to start. Yeah. I'd like to, I, I, I think that people should understand the DOM more, mm-hmm. or it, the, the principles of object-oriented programming, and that you know, a lot of people think that, you know, I've created some HTML and CSS and JavaScript and I'm doing all this cool stuff, when the reality is that you're actually making a polite request to the browser yeah. to say, please implement the proper objects on the screen based upon the, this text file I've sent you. Mm-hmm. And towards the point that Marcy had made in her talk was, you know, some of this stuff you get the accessibility for free, you know, that long-winded description that I gave of the select element, all that stuff is based upon different browsers' implementation of those objects. You know, so, th- so the DOM is, it, the DOM specification is just a series of interfaces that the browser vendors then implement, mm-hmm. but it implements it in a way that exposes all sorts of important accessibility information. What is this thing and what does it do, right? right. So the name, the state, the role, and the value of the, of, the, uh, of the object. And the accessibility tree is the manifestation of that, really, is, is the, the part of uh, how it communicates all of this information to the assistive technology. Right. Yeah, and I think the, that closeness to the, to the DOM and understanding the DOM is, is really important. I mean, I'm, I kind of classify myself as a 
bit of a traditionalist when it comes to building stuff on the web, and some people might call me a bit of a fuddy-duddy. That's that's fine. Um, but uh, that's actually your nickname. That's my yeah, one of my many <laughs> nicknames. Um, uh, but so I'm uh, so I really like seeing uh, that. Uh, uh, that you're a contributor to, uh, to Angular, but then you've got such a focus on accessibility. And maybe this is just a complete uh, misconception on my part, but I kind of think of, of Angular and tools like Angular as an abstraction away from the DOM that means that people often have less of an understanding of the DOM, so to your point. And so maybe it's unfair of me to think of tools like Angular as something that can get in the way of accessibility. Is that, is that fair to say that that's a, a, is that a fair criticism or have I completely mischaracterized uh, those kind of tools. I think Angular made uh, it was a t it's a tool that people who might not be as familiar with the DOM, you know, it, making it easier to build really rich um, JavaScript apps. Yeah. Where sometimes you don't have the documentation or support that you would need to learn what is this thing and what does it do. And so I think the challenge is that we're bringing people into web development who maybe don't know mm -hmm. all of those details. And so, you know, as framework authors, we have a burden to create documentation that teaches people how to do it right. right. And I think that is uh, it's an ongoing yeah, battle. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, People are starting to learn from, uh, like Angular 1, there was not very good documentation for that. Mm -hmm. It came in later, but that ship had sailed in a way that we taught people how to do it incorrectly. So part of the effort moving forward with Angular 2 is to try and make that more clear how to do it right. And instead of automatically fixing it with, for you with things like ng-aria, putting more effort into you know, test tools and things that become part of your development workflow to tell you that you did it wrong instead of just hoping that the module will fix it for you. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Um, we're going to have to leave it there because we're, we're out of time. So, uh, so thanks, thanks once again. So thanks, everyone, uh, for, to Carl, to Marcy, to Estelle. You can stay there if you like, or you can... <laughs>